The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. Is anybody else in there? No. No, it's a cargo plane. What is all this? All this? About five to life in the States, a couple of centuries down here. Oh, marijuana. Oh, you smoke it. I went to college. Yeah, that's what I call a campfire. You want to know something crazy? What? I don't even know your name. Well, you never asked me. Excuse me. I'd really like to Colton. know... Colton. Jack T. Colton. What does the T stand for? Oh, damn it, man. The Doobie Brothers broke up. When did that happen? How long have you been down here? Oh, man. Forever. I don't know. Were you always into birds? Mm. No, no, I, uh... No, I was, uh... I was into shortcuts. Birds just seemed to be a fast way to get what I wanted. And a hell of a lot healthier than dealing in this crap. Well, I think I'm going to throw another key on the fire. Oh, no, please. I'm getting dizzy. Good morning, London. It's Thursday, April 18, 2013. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we'll be with you from now till noon. Oh, no, not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. 519-661-3600 is a number you can call if you want to join in on the conversation today. Should be an interesting one. Steering the ship on my own today, but I have some company in the studio with me this week, and I am joined in studio by not one but two distinguished guests, and that is Chris Goodwin and Aaron Goodwin, who are both from Vapor Central and downtown Toronto, from which they are organizing this weekend's 420 rally in the Toronto area as part of the annual event protesting Canada's prohibition laws on cannabis. Welcome to the show, guys. How are you doing? Doing well. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. You know, when you last appeared, it was Chris Goodwin and Aaron Gorman. <laughs> and I got to say, your wedding that I attended last year was one of the most awesome ceremonies I had seen in a long time. You guys managed to really... Uh, mix a lot of traditions and bring in some new ones. Everything from Christian to Jewish to, to objectivist, practically. I, I, that was and a, it was on the date of the Global Marijuana March, so there was the bit of the that, marijuana. Isn't thing. that amazing? So how's the marriage holding up? Pretty good? You're still together, I noticed. <laughs> Very happily married. Oh, oh, yes. Great. So you're organizing the 420 event in Toronto now. You know, I don't know if a lot of people know about it, but, um, you know, over the years, marijuana, hemp, pot, cannabis, call it what you will, it's been everything from glamorized to demonized in, in the minds of the public. Its use persists despite laws to the contrary, and it's a use so prevalent that ever since I've been politically aware, at least, you know, it suggests that the underground pot market could be compared to those commodities traded legally 
and would almost be always within the top five industries on the continent. And that's just cannabis. Never mind all the other illicit drug trade. But these days, cannabis is not quite as illegal, if I could put it that way, as many other prohibited substances. Maybe in the social sense that it's entered into a gray zone where the courts have determined that those who can demonstrate a medical benefit from cannabis are permitted to use it. Sounds understandable in theory, but as they say, the devil is in the details. So, tell us where you're at with this thing. You're, ho you're holding an event in Toronto this weekend. You're expecting, I understand, ten to $15,000 for your event. Don't know if you're aware of the London situation. I know your, your event has been totally approved. You've got it licensed. It's all, you've got insurance. Apparently, the London event is not so fortunate, and it hasn't, it's been turned down. Any comments on that or any insights from your point of view from that Toronto area? Well, this is our first year getting the permit. Um, oh, it is? Yeah, we've never had this situation before. That. So, in, in, in past and in previous years, we've been like the London protesters where there's uh, that sense of unsureness going into the protest mm -hmm. that you don't know what the outcome because of the police force you might be met with. And what kind of crowds did you manage in the past, roughly? Uh, each year we grow in numbers. This year, it being on a Saturday, we're expecting our largest mm -hmm. to date. Uh, but initially, at the start of the protest earlier on in the day, you always want to have as many numbers as possible to to maintain your, sure. your location. Absolutely. And yeah, there are there are actually over 30 rallies across Canada on 420 this year. And, and you know, some of them are big, like Vancouver, Ottawa, Toronto. But many of them are small. Um, uh, even, not just London, Ontario. There's 10 420s just in Ontario alone mm -hmm. out of the 30 cities. Uh, so you have Hamilton, uh, Niagara, Kitchener, Guelph. All these places have their own unique local challenges. Um, now, this isn't just Canada either. It's just they're doing this in the States. Well, there's over 150 around the world wow. that are celebrating uh, or having some sort of rally on April the 20th. Um, but uh, in Canada alone, it's been as many as 30 across Canada. So um, that's exciting times. We've never had that many rallies on one day in, in the country. And we have it in every province, every territory, uh, and some provinces, many cities. Well, you must have been doing something right in the past uh, protests if, the, if you got your permits this year and everything. That sounds like progress to me, is it? Do you see it as progress or do you just see it as a lucky, <laughs> a lucky break? I don't know. In, in, it's a little of both. Uh, last year, at the end of last year's rally, there was as many as eight to 10,000 people and we're expecting 10 to 15,000 people this year. So uh, we were told by both the city and the police last year that please next year apply uh, and and uh, they will back us I guess better than they had before we've also been over the last decade 10 to 15 years we've been getting better at doing this so you know in our first years we made a lot of mistakes that we've learned sure. from and uh, yeah we're just getting better at what we do so uh, I think they've seen that they've seen uh, you know our expertise grow and uh, now it's becoming a world-class event with, with uh, full concert sound system, six hours of entertainment, speakers, bands, entertainers throughout the day, full insurance, full permit. Um, but that wouldn't have happened without Bob Erb in Vancouver. Oh, so. tell us about Bob. Last December, uh, a very friendly gentleman who ran for the BC Marijuana Party and Mark Emery's campaigns mm -hmm. throughout the years, and uh, he lives in uh, Terrace, BC, a small community outside Vancouver, and uh, he won the lottery. 
he won it big. The BC Lotto, $25 million. Uh, oh, really? And during the, the press conference with the big check and, and the whole works, he smoked a joint and and publicly uh, said that he was going to donate the proceeds to 420 campaigns as well as legal legalization initiatives across Canada. Um, but specifically on 420, he's came through and he's funding all of them across Canada, including London. So all the posters and banners and flags and megaphones and other things. We're giving away T-shirts, and he's paying for it all. It's all Bob Herb's money. So, uh, and then if they oh. got the insurance and if they got the permit for the band shell, we were going to pay for that as well. The insurance would have been five hundred dollars. The the band shell would have been another five hundred. And but un unfortunately, those were denied, and many other cities were denied too. London and Kitchener were denied as well. And and we have been denied in previous years. This isn't the first year we've taken the the steps to to mm -hmm. apply for a permit. It's almost all fallen into place because of our growth over time. The numbers have a lot to do with the fact that they've approved us. That's interesting that uh, numbers are what swing the thing, not, not the rightness or the wrongness of the situation. And that's, that's a bit part of the problem, I suppose. I mean, y both of you are sort of operating your own business in a very gray zone. I, I might say, I don't know, you both operate Vapor Central in downtown Toronto. You've been there now for a number of years. Mm -hmm. um, that would suggest some level of uh, amazing tolerance and perhaps even respect from the community. I know you've always... Uh, I, I've seen the establishment, haven't been there for a bit, but I know what it's like. It's, it's large, it's clean, it's downtown, um, and you cater to a certain clientele. Can you tell us a bit about that? Because I'm sure a lot of our listeners don't even know anything about that. Well, we're a bring-your-own-bud cannabis yeah. facility for people to consume in a safe, comfortable environment. Uh, you don't sell cannabis there. No, no, there is no sales. Even our customers are not allowed to sell, and we monitor that type of behavior. Mm -hmm. We expect, like, uh, you know, a group of three or four people would come into our lounge. They don't want to be bugged either to have to sell some of their product. They would like to be able to put their marijuana on the table and not have it at any risk of another customer somehow uh, grabbing it or anything. So, no, I, I, you know, we can fit over 200 people in Vapor Central, and it's a very comfortable and safe environment for everybody. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, we've been there seven years. We do comedy seven shows, wow. bands. All the stuff we've done in the last uh, seven years has added to our legitimacy. Um, there's been unique challenges keeping a place like Vapor Central open in the gray area that you describe. Uh, it's a what, tough call. It's what very. Might, what might some of the major unique challenges be? That well, specifically, also like the way we do these events on 420. Uh, originally, we had insurance at Vapor Central for the first four years or so. The insurance company went out of business. Uh, oh, <laughs> we opened in early 2007, and around 2010, 2011, it went out of business. And our landlord was very adamant that it's his building. It's, it's a downtown building worth, you know, 1.5 million to whatever buildings are worth, and uh, it needs to have insurance. And it, we faced about a two or three month period where we were without insurance. Um, so it's a tough thing. 420Rally.ca as well. Well, for for our 420 Toronto, uh, we were denied insurance by two companies that we first approached, including the one that operates for Vapor Central. They came back to us and said, you know, uh, we don't feel comfortable insuring a rally where it's unpredictable, the outcome. Sure. So uh, Vapor Central is a lot more predictable with our policies, procedures at the door, the way in which we operate. Uh, because you have a controlled environment there. That's right. Whereas once you're out in public... And you're subject to public nuances, aren't you? That's right. So we were. So it, it, 
yeah, that's just one unique challenge. Others are that that in the first few years of opening up, the police come in, the beat mm-hmm. cops from Young Street, and uh, how how to deal with uh, you know the the city uh, as well as uh, other people around you, your businesses that are below you and beside you. All those things have, have were very difficult in the beginning, and mm-hmm. I could imagine if somebody tried to open in London or in any other city across Canada, they would have the same challenges we had. Interesting. So where where are you going to be holding this year's uh, Toronto Rally? Toronto is uh, right in the heart of Toronto, at Young and Dundas Square, right at Young and Dundas. Uh, it's a major facility with its own stage and sound system. and um, Across from the Eaton Centre? Right across from the Eaton Centre. It, it's basically like Times Ooh, Square, New wow. York. Mm-hmm. Good location. How did you manage that one? Is that... Uh, well, in 2007, when Vapor Central moved from Hamilton to, to Toronto, we picked that location as, as being the, the most ideal to get the most numbers, uh, the most exposure. It's and close to Youngsterdam, which is our area of the city where we've got several different cannabis businesses located. Mm-hmm. So it's easy for us to access through marching, and it is a big open space that is meant for putting on events. Interesting. Um, how, how, why would you have gotten into this in the first place? You must have had a reason in terms of uh, your own interest in the pot issue itself. Did you? Um, it's not something that you just woke up in the morning one day and says, I'm going to get into this business. In, in some ways, it's a little of that. But uh, I'm 33 now. But when I was 17, 18, so 15, 16 years ago, I, in high school, started seeing my friends getting arrested at rates that, you know, I, I saw other police encounters at a young age, and I always was... I grew up thinking the police officer was supposed to be your friend and, and a friend of the community and somebody you could go up to if you had trouble. And mm-hmm. and I thought that growing up as a child. And But into my teens, I started to see that it wasn't just when people were getting beat up or when and something was stolen that police intervened. It, it, when you light up a, a plant, uh, when you smoke a joint, when you... And, and the same handcuffs get put off on you as if you were to punch somebody. And it, it just didn't make any sense to me. And so I started to seek out on my own what people are already dealing with this this problem that I started being confused by in many ways. And I started in my research in the early infancy of the internet in the mid-90s, I started to hear about Mark Emery in Vancouver. And he intrigued me. And I, and I started... Uh, he has fo- the ability to do that. <laughs> <laughs> so I started following as much as I could. And, and early in, in, the, in the late 90s, I started doing my own 420 rallies. And I started... Uh, I had my own part-time jobs and I would make my own posters and glue and whatever and go up and put them up. And Mark gave me advice early on. I used to put a lot of information on a poster saying, Marijuana is good for everything, and, and and a thousand ways that it's good for you. And Mark Emery called those posters loud, and he said, "Just get back to the basics. Just put make the poster ninety percent of it a pot leaf. Put four twenty on the top. At the bottom, put the location and and the time, and you'll see you'll get a a lot more response." And my first couple rallies, I did a thing called the Hemp Awareness Seminar. Uh-huh. I rented out a theater at Mohawk College that seated two hundred and forty people. Maybe thirty forty people showed up. To me, it was a disaster, right? Thirty, but. 30, 40 people was a big thing for me at the time. A lot of people, including a politician, a city councilor showed up and had a speech. So it was a very successful event, but it was empty. 
and, and, and I wasn't happy with that outcome. And, and I did a couple more like that where it, the numbers just didn't show up. And I did my first 420 protest in 99 by doing that formula Mark Emery recommended. And on the day, I showed up. I usually show up hours early to be prepared, especially if I'm near the location. And that day I showed up. I was about 10 minutes early. And there was already 100 people there. There was already a news truck there and, and a Hamilton Spectator reporter there. And this was in Hamilton, Ontario. And uh, the day swelled to 200, 300 people. We were on the 6 o'clock news. It was everything I ever wanted. And, and so I followed that formula and I kept using it. Oh, interesting how, how that evolved. Listen, it's quarter past the hour already, believe it or not. We're going to take a quick break. Listen to a couple of voices, mainly the voices coming up here. What's coming up next? This is Mark Emery actually speaking on City TV back in 2007 on March the 7th at an event called Idea City, which was basically, you know, um, I was there, by the oh, way. Oh, you were there? Yes, I mean, that's it, Oh, so you actually saw the original thing. I didn't even know about it until much later. And uh, that was quite one of those big events that was put on um, uh, by City TV each year. And on the other side, we'll be hearing a, a brief bit of a, a CBS News commentary and, and interview with Cheech and Chong, in this case, t uh, most... Uh, Tommy Chong speaking a little bit more. We'll hear more of them later in the show as well. But we'll be back right after this break. I belong to the cannabis culture. I'm very proud of that. It's the most wonderful, beautiful plant. In the United States, if you're convicted of selling more than 60,000 60, seeds, each seed is considered a plant there. It's the death penalty. You're considered a major drug kingpin, and they can sentence you to death. So I've always thought, well, that's a both a terrible thing and a terrible, a wonderful contrast. And I'm still walking here, and after 20-some-odd convictions, I'm still not even on probation. So it says something both wonderful and horribly contradictory about the country I live in because not only have 600,000 Canadians have criminal records but about twice that many have been arrested and roasted for marijuana. I regard it as sexual assault. Most police strip search people and pat them down. That's totally, utterly shocking in this modern era that the police officer can take someone's clothes off and investigate their bodily cavities just to look for a, a gardening project. <laughs> And that's what it is. You know, in Vancouver alone in the last year, over 50 families lost their children because they were growing marijuana. It's used for clothing, it's used for medicine. There's just read in the paper. People who are crippled up, bent up, dying of AIDS, six months to live for cancer, throwing themselves prostrate on Parliament because they need medical marijuana. We're all smart, intelligent people. We all grew up with a fairly good educational system. We all have mass media. We can see this tragedy and read about it every day in the papers. Marijuana is in the paper every day to remind everybody, to guilt trip them, to repeat over and over, why does this happen every day in this country? Why does everybody do nothing? Why isn't it not on the agenda? What's wrong with you? Aren't you good Canadians? You have the power to liberate a nation that's waiting for you to do something. Thanks very much. Somebody out there is going to see this and say, you know, why did you allow these people on to talk about this, you know? Well, because oh. this is America, you yeah. know. <laughs> one, thing, one thing about America, we do have freedom of speech, yeah. you know? I, so, went to, I went to jail, by the way, for, for uh, uh, selling a bong. On the a, internet. A, a water pipe that was shipped across the state line. I went to jail for nine months. Yeah. Thanks to uh, Bush's government, you know, uh -huh. uh, Ashcroft and, and Mary Beth Buchanan. Uh -huh. They put me in jail 
for the offense of selling a water pipe. Because it was... What, because I was, you know, no, because the paraphernalia. It was the, the Hayman Act. Yeah, they said uh, uh, in in my indictment, they said that uh, I made millions of dollars making movies like Up in Smoke. Therefore, I should go to jail. Now, how American is that? I don't have a ready response to that. Uh, that's good. It's not very American, is it? <laughs> Just putting someone in jail for selling a water pipe. Can you imagine that? I don't know. I think it has become pretty American to has do it? that. Well, certainly not Canadian. There's certainly a contrast there. Now, remember, that was Mark Emery in 2002, right, where he wasn't being bothered by uh, uh, Canadian authorities. And, of course, as it turns out, it was the American authorities that came north to Canada to get him, put him in jail. Now, you said something interesting during that break there, Chris. You said you were at the event, at the at the uh, Idea City event. And I that, was. And that was the famous place where Mark Emery was supposed to, supposed to have smoked uh, pot with Justin Trudeau. Is he that right? He did, absolutely. Uh, it makes sense, because I understand. I saw Paul Martin on that show, on the same show. I don't know if he was at the same event, but on the broadcast, he was on right after uh, Mark Emery. Yeah. Now, is that where you... Did you already know Mark at that time? or, or had I you, did. That was in 2003, I believe believe and uh i was at that event and it was interesting i wasn't there at, at the exact moment he uh passed the joint to to justin trudeau but uh it, it did take place and it was a very exciting time i was passing a hash pipe around at, at an after party and martin couchon was there uh who eventually became our justice minister and uh he uh he passed the hash pipe. He grabbed it and, and didn't take a toke off it, but he <laughs> passed it to the person beside him. And, and so it's always very unique, and it was always interesting to me that that could happen, that you could be in another room with the head of the liberals and like a Justin Trudeau or Martin Couchon, and they would accept a joint, a, a marijuana cigarette in their hand or a, a glass pipe with hashish in their hand and, and either take a toke from it or pass it to the next person beside them. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Listen, we have on the line with us, I understand, a rather notable person in this fight for for legalizing marijuana, and that happens to be Matt Myrna, who's just come from a major uh, court case. Matt, are you there? I am. Uh, can you guys hear me on this phone? Oh, we got a pretty bad connection here. You're kind of breaking up on us a bit. You still there? Uh, I can hear that. Um, I'm try trying to see. S say hello again. Just make sure we're getting the connection. Hi, how's it going, guys? It, uh, we can sort of make you out. Where's your situation with your court case now, Matt? We know that you just about had a ch almost hit the point of changing the, the marijuana laws in Canada, but that had to turn around recently. Uh, where are you at now with your case? Uh, we have a legal application in Canada, and I was not... Oh, Matt, I think... Can we try this connection again? Let's try the connection again. Yeah. That's a little too rough for us right now. We're going to try it again. So, yeah, Matt Myrna is yeah. uh, a, a high-level member in the Hash Mob. He's helped me support all these 420 rallies over the years. And uh, he, for the last... He's been in court for five years uh, fighting a Supreme Court challenge that it's eventually, I believe, going to go all the way to the Supreme Court. And Mur Myrna might be able to tell you more about that. But... Uh, uh, well, I know he was originally charged in 2008 after Niagara Regional Police found some plants in his apartment. Now, he was growing them for his own medicinal uses. He has fibromyalgia. He has a, a tumor. He has scoliosis. Epilepsy. Uh, and epilepsy, yeah. Unfortunately, his medical conditions are severe. And, and uh, he tried to demonstrate that in court. Uh, unfortunately, like uh, he won at the early level, at the superior court level, the judge agreed. Absolutely, you're clearly in need of medical marijuana, and he tried to argue the same way as Morgan Tyler, which is mm -hmm. that. 
that during abortion, you could, at, at the time, you had to uh, go get a medical abortion. It had to be um, right through the government. It had to be legitimate through certain conditions. The same thing applies today. You can get marijuana, but it has you have to meet these certain conditions, and you have to apply to the uh, government. Uh, Morgan Tyler actually argued that that's an illusion. They've only created the illusion of access. Um, that in theory, you can get it if you meet all these conditions, but there are still tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people that can meet the conditions that don't get approval. So, well, I wonder if Matt's problem is even larger than just his just that because I notice here it said in uh, this one article from uh, actually the London Free Press uh, under the heading man says medical marijuana system was designed to fail. That's right. And uh, in St. Catharines it suggests that he was not able to find a family doctor and trying to get a doctor at a walk-in clinic to sign a declaration is impossible, right? That's right. So we have a bigger problem than just that. It's also that we have a doctor shortage, and the medical system well, isn't even able to catch up. Same thing came up with another fellow named Philip Silver, also from the Free Press, and um, who was caught with 30 marijuana plants in the basement of his home. And, but he got a break. Um, again, he was using the marijuana for medical purposes. And uh, it was suggested to him, he was given an eight-month conditional sentence, but Judge McGrath, you know, was wondering what kind of sentence he might face under, new, under the new coming laws, under, mm -hmm. under Harper, because they're saying, should an offender be found guilty by way of indictment, allegations encompassing more serious offenses for growing marijuana, the offender could be jailed for six months for having six to 200 plants or 18 months for 201 to 500 plants. You told me a bit of a catch-22 about that whole thing, number of plants you were telling me on the phone. You said... Well, there's uh, a few reasons why it's irrelevant in some ways. Uh, medical patients right now, if, if you get access, then you're allowed so many grams per day. For instance, you could have 5 to 10 grams a day for your personal use. And then they give you a mathematical formula for how many plants that should take, as well as how much you could, in theory, have in storage that could last you up to three months, for instance. Mm -hmm. So you would be allowed to have pounds of marijuana, as well as you'd be allowed to grow 50 to 100 plants. But most people aren't green thumbs. Per Producing 50 quality plants in flowering is very difficult, actually. Even though it's a weed and it'll, yes. you could plant 100 seeds and they'll probably all sprout. But it, to actually get them all to production-level marijuana, medical-grade marijuana, it does take a lot of work. And some people, in theory, you could have 50... It's, sounds like we got Matt back. Is all that right. correct? Hi, Matt. Hey, you there? How are you guys? Okay. Sounds a lot better. Yeah, so give us an update on your situation right now, Matt. We haven't got many much time left, about four minutes or so. Well, we have an application to the Supreme Court of Canada, uh -huh. and uh, we're waiting uh, for, to hear back from them. This was uh, put together by some of the brightest legal minds in the country, and I, I think the odds of us being accepted are high. I've been asked not to really speak about what we've written in the application at this time, so I can't uh, fill you in on what we believe the, our appeal is based on, but I think we have a great, a great chance. And will that affect more than just folks like you, or would, would it affect more people, or is that something you can't say? <laughs> well, um, I can't really go as far with the Supreme Court of Canada, will say. Um, we're, we're just at this point trying to get in the door. And I, the, one of the things I could mention is that if you list, uh, read the case uh, R.V. Melmo Levine, which was the last case heard before the Supreme Court of Canada, they left open the door that basically said, if a medical marijuana person appears before us, we might have a different outlook. And so we're, we're, we're working hard to get there. Um, I can't really, like I said, I can't really discuss what we're up to. 
Well, how has this all affected you personally beyond, of course, your personal issues? But, you know, have you become sort of a notorious individual in the country? (laughs) Well, yeah, it has become quite, uh, I've been quite popular, which is, I mean, I've worked with Chris for, for years and years and years, and we've always done relatively good in the media. And, I mean, to start out with the Young and Dundas Square, Chris, myself, it started with a handful of people, and it's always been, as they say, a handful of good Canadians working hard to change something. And that's what's going on here. I, I have a team of people around me, um, and basically my goal now is to remain stress-free, believe it or not. Uh, what You know, th- this is part of what is so disturbing about this. You know, here you have people who are already suffering from a number of issues and, and, and problems medically, and now they have to deal with this extra stress, you know, that wouldn't have to be there if it weren't artificially put there by other people. It seems to me that so much of the argument is based on, how can I put it, medical issues rather than liberty issues. Would I be correct in saying that? A hundred percent. This is a liberty issue, which, uh, you know, the government, and, and even right down to my doctor, shouldn't, shouldn't really be involved in this type of decision-making. Marijuana is a herb. My doctor is a scientist, obviously, but he's not a botanist. And he can measure the epileptic drug that's in my body right now. He can, he can call a blood sample up and he can figure it out. He can't really tell me how much THC should be in my body at any time. And that's a big difference. And, and the police did come to my home. In fact, um, when they did come to my home and discover the grove, the landlord at, on the scene said, well, this must all be legal. And the police knew who I was. They're like, oh, my God, whose home is this? So it, it's been an interesting ride in that I've never hidden what I've done, and I think people would feel a lot better, especially medical people. They'd feel a lot less stress if they just said, you know what, I'm coming out of the cannabis closet. They would feel a lot better. Excellent advice. Thanks for joining us today, Matt. We're going to give that thought some great consideration, and best of luck with your upcoming challenge in the courts. Thank you very much, sir. Excellent. You know, um, this isn't the first time North America has dealt with this. We're going to take a break at the bottom of the hour here where um, our next um, clip that we're going to hear going into this break is from PBS. Prohibition, a nation of hypocrites, only this is about alcohol and the principles involved in the alcohol prohibition. be interesting to see how many of these actually would apply to the pot situation as well today. When we return on the other side, we'll be back. It was exactly what America wanted, and it caught us completely by surprise. It turned citizens into criminals and criminals into kings. It changed the very nature of our democracy, twice. Prohibition. What a stupid idea it was that people actually thought you could get away with this, that you could actually ban alcohol, completely eliminate its usage in American society. It's it's a preposterous idea. It was a struggle between small towns and big cities, the wets and the dries, with the whole country caught in the middle. It's not that sin is so terrible, it's that sin is very attractive, and that's why we're always tempted to do it. You drank to show that you were a man, but you get drunk and all of a sudden you can't provide for your family, you can't do your job. It was a time when women found their voice and help to change the nation. The women gather in front of a saloon and they start praying. 
And the movement takes off like wildfire. And our greatest heroes were also our greatest criminals. Some call it bootlegging. Some call it racketeering. I call it a business. Once the government begins forbidding things, then somebody will come along and say, I got it. Step around the corner. listening ears and settle down. That's better. Now, I'd like to welcome today's special guest speaker, Councilwoman Hodes. Well, hello, junior citizens of Agrastic. I am Councilwoman Hodes, and I am here today at our top-ranked grammar school to make a very special announcement. Beginning next week, all of Agrastic will become a drug-free zone. Okay. You know how penguins march 70 miles to get where they're going? Well, drugs are like penguins. They march from the ghetto to the suburbs. Now, to end this migration, I will be installing surveillance cameras and drug-free zone signs throughout Agrestic. I invite you to bring your parents to the unveiling of our first surveillance camera tomorrow at the corner of Hillside and Harper Drives, right across from what will soon no longer be the dog park. 4 p.m. And now, I would like to introduce a very special guest who has an important message for you all. Sober the Sasquatch. Arr, arr! Drugs are wrong! Arr, I'm putting my big foot down on drugs! My big foot! This is not a game, people. Yes, Shane. Point of order? Why cameras? Good question. Because people behave better when they know they're being watched. What about our rights to privacy? Well, there are more important things than rights to privacy. <laughs> I know. I think you're turning Agrestic into a police state. Yeah! yeah! drunk at my house. I beg your pardon? I don't like the drunken homeless penguins in the ghetto, but I've definitely seen you drunk. Well, that's quite enough, Shane. You can sit and down. Isn't being drunk just like being on drugs? Isn't alcohol a drug? You do drugs. You do. You do drugs. Drugs are wrong! You do drugs! You do drugs! The councilwoman also likes her speed and ambience. You do drugs! You do drugs! You do drugs! You do drugs! 
Ah, yes, America, a nation of hypocrites. Eh? Yes. <laughs> but that wasn't from that show. No, that was from Weeds, believe it or not. I am joined in studio right now by Chris Goodwin and Aaron Goodwin, who run Vapor Central in downtown Toronto and are organizing the 420 event in Toronto this weekend. And on the live line with us from British Columbia is Dana Larson, who is working endlessly on Sensible BC program. Dana, are you there? I sure am. Thanks for having me. Welcome to the show, and, and say hi to Dana, guys. You guys know Hey, Dana. How's it going? Hey, Dana. <laughs> I met Hello. you in person the first time at Chris and Aaron's wedding last uh, last year. Dana? Oh, that was a fun time. That, that was a very fun time. Yeah, a lot of fun. So, are you are you doing your own 420 event out in B.C.? Uh, yeah, I think we have Canada's biggest uh, 420 event out here in B.C., and this year, since it's on a Saturday, it's going to be massive we're looking at over 20,000 people i think will be coming out for the festival in uh, in vancouver and i think what makes our one special in vancouver it's really a giant marijuana farmers market with tons of booths set up selling marijuana of all sorts people wandering around with joints and cookies and other delightful treats for sale and uh it makes it a really special wonderful day Wow, you, your event is far more liberal than those of us stuck out here in the east side of the country. How did you ever manage to get to that point of acceptance? Well, with the rallies that were going on here, uh, it's been quite a few years. And with some of the earlier ones, there was an activist named David Malmo Levine, and he would really encourage the crowd to bring, to bring the dealers and those who want to buy cannabis close to the middle, avoid the police, and stood down the police a few times. And they basically just backed down, and this festival has become more and more of a marijuana farmer's market every year. And uh, with 20,000 people there and dozens and dozens of booths selling all sorts of marijuana products, uh, the Vancouver police just uh, let it happen. They norm don't normally send down more than three or four cops, and their job is really just to uh, direct traffic out of the way so you don't have any problems with the huge crowd that spills onto the roads. Well, it certainly tells you something about the nature of the crowd when you can you know, manage such a large crowd with so few police officers. These are not the, uh, um, you know, violent or anything like that in any way, shape, or form, eh? Oh, the, yeah, it's an incredibly peaceful, fun event. If there is ever anybody that has a problem with somebody that showed up drunk, and we try to minimize that as much <laughs> as possible and make it an alcohol-free, marijuana-only event. But uh, for the most part, it's a huge, very peaceful, very happy, good time. There's seniors there. There's little kids there with their parents sometimes wandering around, uh, you know, checking it out. Like, it's a very safe environment for everybody, really, and, uh, and it's a wonderful day. It's very special. Excellent. Now, tell us a little more about Sensible BC. I mean, I imagine that's more than just about just the one day's event. It's a, it's got a much broader agenda, does it? Well, Sensible BC is a campaign we've been working on for a while now, several months, and uh, it's leading up to a signature gathering campaign this coming September. In British Columbia, we had the only problem is with the referendum system, and so the citizens can get together and write their own law, get enough signatures to put it on the ballot, and get it passed through a referendum. But it's very challenging to get something on the ballot here in B.C., and so only one group has ever got on the ballot before, and that was the campaign to stop the HST implementation. But uh, we've written a law called the Sensible Policing Act, and this law can actually be passed by any province. And what this law does is it decriminalizes marijuana possession at the provincial level by using the province's authority over policing and the administration of justice to tell the police to stop spending any time or resources on detaining or arresting anybody for possession of marijuana. So we basically make it the lowest police priority such that they spend no time or resources on marijuana possession. 
And so that's the first step. We know we got to go further than just decriminalizing possession of marijuana, but that's a good first step. Takes marijuana users off the front lines of the war on drugs. It lets police focus on real crimes. Saves us about $10.5 million a year that we're spending in B.C. just to bust pot smokers. And it starts us on the path to a, a better legally regulated system. And what this law also does is it calls upon the federal government to change the marijuana laws and repeal marijuana so that B.C. can go further and actually legally regulate cannabis. And we're trying to get this law passed in the province. Right. I was just going to ask you how the federal government f- fit into your plans there. Are, are, do they ever present a problem in, in, in the sense of uh, provincial federal jurisdiction disputes? Well, you know, we had to craft this law very carefully to make sure that it fell within provincial jurisdiction. And actually, when you want to have a referendum and do a ballot initiative in B.C., your law has to be approved by Elections B.C. And they won't approve it if it's not a valid law, if it's not within provincial jurisdiction. And so we actually submitted a few different variations to this law, and they rejected most of them as saying, no, this is not within provincial jurisdiction. But the one that we've crafted, this final piece of legislation, their, their lawyers and advisors agreed this is a valid law for the province or any province and um and uh, and so it's already been accepted by elections bc and so there's no question that the sensible policing act is a valid law that british columbia or any province could pass to decriminalize marijuana possession if they wanted to now when you're talking about decriminalizing or even legalizing let's say you're not just talking about the um, medical marijuana you're talking about for recreational purposes right across the board for any use right yeah, well, I, I, I kind of believe that even people who say they're using marijuana recreationally are really using it for medicinal purposes. But, yeah, we want to create a system where adults can get marijuana without having to have a doctor's recommendation. Marijuana should be regulated in a manner similar to wine, I believe. Uh, the wine model provides, in my mind, a very good model for cannabis because people can brew their own wine in their own home in limited quantities if they choose. Uh, the, the wine market isn't dominant, doesn't like the government can brew wine or sell wine. I mean, it, it's, a, it's an independent market, but it's regulated by the government. In the wine industry, there's big producers, there's small niche producers. It's an open industry that anybody can enter into. That's the kind of model I would like to see for marijuana across Canada. And once marijuana prohibition is repealed by the federal government, then it actually comes under provincial jurisdiction, like alcohol and tobacco in terms of regulation and, and, and that kind of stuff. That's all done provincially. Mm-hmm. So we want to start that process and start figuring out what those rules are going to be in the province. What are the age limits? How much can you grow marijuana? How much are we going to tax it? What are all the rules? How do we deal with extracts? All those questions that need to be resolved. We're going to start figuring out those answers uh, here in British Columbia. So, so what are you planning to do about Stephen Harper's plans, though? He seems to be going in the exact opposite direction right now. Or is that a mis mis? Uh, are we, is that a misreading on the part of the, of the media? Oh, no, absolutely. Stephen Harper hates marijuana, hates marijuana users, wants to put us all in prison, and has worked very diligently to make that happen. Um, he's been very clear that he's against marijuana and marijuana users in pretty much every form. And uh, certainly the mandatory minimums that they've passed, uh, which came into force in Canada on the same day as Washington and Colorado legalized it, uh, here in Canada we're now facing very strict penalties for cultivation of small quantities or trafficking in relatively small quantities of marijuana. Uh, so this, this, then the whole point of the Sensible Policing Act is to do this at the provincial level where we have authority and to sort of bypass the federal government. To get to full marijuana legalization, we need to change the federal law. That will not happen until after 2015 when Harper is defeated and we have a new government in place. But in the meantime, we can send a strong message from British Columbia and any other province 
and we can take the sensible first step of decriminalizing possession that is within provincial jurisdiction. Now, I was just wondering, um, we just played a, um, a soundbite about alcohol prohibition in the states, and it appears that a great part of the history of that was that there was a very religious fundamentalist route opposed to alcohol as a drug at the time. Do you find that same religious fundamentalism at play at all in in the marijuana prohibition debate, especially since a lot of it comes from uh, the conservative so-called right wing? Uh, there definitely is that element to it, but I'd say it goes beyond that. It's not just the uh, religious fundamentalists that are necessarily opposed to marijuana, but that's, that strain is certainly there. I'd say ultimately the biggest proponents of prohibition are the police and the RCMP. Uh, whenever I have a debate with anybody, it's always an RCMP officer. Uh, they're the only ones out there really promoting and advocating for stricter sentences, longer penalties, uh, you know, less civil rights, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it's been like that for the last hundred years. I mean, the RCMP in Canada have always been the biggest pushers of marijuana prohibition. They've really become addicted to prohibition. It's a great make-work program for the police. And across Canada, since Harper came to power, marijuana possession charges have increased by 30% over the past six years across Canada and more than doubled in British Columbia. There's not more pot smokers over the past six years. The RCMP are just spending more and more time and resources busting people for marijuana possession. So they love prohibition because there's no one you know easier and less dangerous to arrest than a marijuana user. You know, real criminals can be violent and dangerous. Pot smokers are harmless. They're not going to resist you for the most part. Uh, and so they make great prisoners, you know. So it's great for the police to have this huge pool of Canadians that they can arrest at any time whenever they're feeling like they don't have enough to do. And we got to put a stop to that and get our police fighting real crime and not these pretend crimes like marijuana use. Sounds to me a lot like the gun control issue, too. I don't know. Listen, Dana, thanks for joining us today and enlightening us. Okay. Where, where can people find out more about your event in B.C. online? Well, good question. SensibleBC.ca is the website. Uh-huh. Uh, please come and check it out. If you live in B.C., you have me hearing this, then please uh, register. But if you're in Ontario or anywhere else in Canada, you can work in your own province to change these laws. And certainly, if we win in B.C., it'll help everyone in Canada. So we do accept donations and volunteers from anywhere in Canada. People can help win this victory in B.C., doesn't matter where they are. So sensiblebc.ca is the place to go and find out more about how we can take this first step to decriminalize possession in British Columbia. Excellent. Thanks for joining us today, and best of luck this weekend. Yeah, thanks for having me on the air, and it's going to be a great 420 weekend. Sounds like it. Thanks, Dana. Okay. And coming up next at this break, we're going to go back to Cheech and Chong from CBS News, Washington Unplugged, and we'll return right after this. We'll have a it's, it's, it's like ratification right now. I mean, we have 14 states in the Confederation, and we're looking for the rest of them to come and join us. figure you'll eventually get a majority? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's quasi-legal now. You know, it's like immigration. Immigration for Mexicans is quasi-legal. <laughs> they come in, and we'll chase you down when we want to get out. But come on back, but we'll chase you down. But, you know, <laughs> but it's, it's that, that quasi-status, and the same thing with marijuana. I mean, you can walk down the street of any major city and smoke a joint and not get hassled, unless they want to hassle you. And remember, Mar- they still can. Mar- they still Mar- can. He said, that's what we want to eliminate. Marijuana is the reason that the economy still uh, hasn't really to- totally tanked. 
Because it's, it's, a, it's the biggest a, cash crop in California. It's a number in, one in cash Canada, crop in the world. It's the biggest. I was doing a movie there some time ago, and the day I got there, the headline of the Vancouver Sun was Pot, BC's Biggest Industry. Bigger than lumber, bigger than cattle, bigger than any other thing they have. It's a number one cash crop in the world. And we're letting the Canadians get all the money? Come on. Yeah. Canadians. <laughs> all right, guys, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, <laughs> Cheech Marin, Tommy Chong, thank you very much for being with us. Well, thank you. It's our pleasure. And, uh, can we leave you a joint? Uh, probably not, at least not on the record. Oh, okay. not, a, not on the. Not thanks on for that. watching Washington Unplugged. Please join us again tomorrow on CBSNews.com. You buy me anything? No. Do you really think you deserve anything after what you did today? Well, I do. You called Celia Hodes a drunk? Another call from my dear old friend, Principal Dodge. I think I'm on his speed dial. I was making a point. She's trying to make Agrestic a drug-free zone, but I think drugs should be legal. Why? Because. So... No one gets in trouble. Nobody's going to get in trouble. Okay? I was wondering if drugs were legal. What kind of problems would we have? Has that ever been something that the two of you have considered? Or is it too big a problem even getting around that barrier No, first. well, one thing I think of is greening out, for instance, uh, a f common factor of the use of too much uh, usage of marijuana, uh, abusing marijuana, I guess you could say, uh, al although it, it, no one's ever OD'd in, you know, 10,000 no. years of use. Uh, it, it, it's clearly something that could pa make you pass out. <laughs> It'll get you so tired and so out of it that your body will shut down and you'll, what's known as green out. Uh, no, that's called, uh, we used to call it just falling asleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess the green out in the fear is that it will happen when you're not sitting down. Oh, I see. Uh, <laughs> or when you're sitting down, it'll happen when you don't want it to and you'll tip over kind of thing oh. as opposed to laying down, but... Uh, can't say I've ever actually witnessed that, but maybe you've run into it a few times in your in your. Well, with 500 people a day at Vapor Central, yeah. it tends to happen more frequently than I would. Uh, you be know, with. people who run um, alcohol bars obviously have a lot of problems with a lot of their patrons. Mm -hmm. um, I can't imagine those problems are are anywhere as benign as yours. Or am I wrong in that? It, it no, we almost never have an argument, even. And like, like Dana was saying, normally whenever there's a problem, alcohol is involved. And we're right on Young Street in Toronto, so drunks do come up those staircases every once in a while, and uh, it, it's our job to not let them in. It is to monitor that at the door and to make sure that everyone knows the rules and. Uh, occasionally, yeah, it's it's alcohol that that's the most common problem associated with marijuana. You know, I have to tell you that these days, you know, why we're even still dealing with cannabis as a prohibited substance, that's kind of bizarre to me, to someone with my way of thinking. And, you know, given that we're all supposed to be adults with an equal right to life, liberty, and property, and, and that substance is demonstrably more threatening to life and health, like tobacco and alcohol, you can get freely distributed, not only distributed, but sold by the very government that prohibits cannabis. Doesn't that sound like the competition is, is trying to edge in on your product? I mean, isn't that what it's all about? 
I think so. I, I, I definitely think that they're promoting toxic lifestyles where people that want um, more healthy lifestyles and healthy choices are are, are given barriers to, to, to that kind of thing. And I think it's a shame. Uh, the same thing is happening with other modern herbs, uh, other extracts of vitamin C's and other things. Like we have a health food store right below us, and they were fighting a campaign last year that would have made half of the herbal products they sell as a controlled drug. So... It's interesting that we're moving more towards punishment and jails and fines. And uh, early on, I always thought that it would get uh, mildly softer as the years go by. Decriminalization would work its way into our system. You know, you're beating me to my point here that mm -hmm. I was going to get at. You're way ahead of me right now. <clears throat> In fact, I thought might it might have been a little um, optimistic on Dana's part to assume that the liberals were going to win this and bring in and legalize marijuana. First of all, even if they win, I don't think they're going to legalize anything. But nevertheless, if we look at our new restrictive laws, you know, here in London on May 1st, for example, outdoor smoking is going to be illegal. Mm -hmm. uh, cigarettes within a certain number of feet of any park, um, public doorway, anything to do with the government. On Aboriginal reserves, we've got cigarettes and fuel sold on a pseudo-black market. In agriculture, we've got a guy named uh, Michael Schmidt who's actually being raided for selling raw milk to people. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's how ridiculous prohibition is getting and how widespread it's getting. And in the midst of that trend everything else going the other way we see this other group of people wanting to go the other way and expecting to go that way um, where do you really see your salvation I, I know politically a lot of parties talk the only party I know provincially last election that said anything positive about the marijuana situation was a freedom party of Ontario provincially mm -hmm. that insisted on not uh, the police not raiding the legal uh, medical marijuana stuff. Yeah, Hudoc, the Liberals, they all, and even the NDP were in favor of grow-up registries. And, yeah, all sorts and, of and controls. Um, wipe them out, get rid of them. Uh, you know, get <laughs> registry for houses that were used. All unnecessary if you didn't have these laws in the first place. That's right. So, where does the optimism come from in the midst of that? I mean, uh, it doesn't sound like the traditional party. I was are listening on to side. your show last week on the drive up here, and I, I, I think I'm I've always been confident in our philosophy that we're mm -hmm. we have the right message, the the uh, the right philosophy, and it, it comes from the right place, and that is the building block to staying on the right road to getting to the to the right. It, it, like a thing like RV Myrna, a thing like Sensible BC, could be the tipping point. It could, uh, we like Colorado and Washington. It, it does take that one time where we remove an eighty percent chunk of their power away from them, and it creates a, a social stigma that 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 starts to go the other way. That that we move the trend and we bounce it back. Uh, Dana has a quote from 10 years ago about that prohibition will get worse and worse up until the day that that happens, mm -hmm. that that slingshot effect bounces back. Um, and it's not going to get slowly better. There isn't going to be a slow decriminalization. It's not really going to be. It's going to be a big kick, like an RV Myrna one day, the summer legalization one day, sensible BC passes on one day. Sure. And, and, and then everybody will say it was an overnight thing, even though it took everybody 50 years, 100 years to work towards that overnight event. Sure. Right. And it got worse up until the day that that event happened. So Now, the U.S. seems to be going a little bit the other way. Even the prosecutor of Mark Emery has come out saying that we have to get rid of these laws. He's a fan of us now, which isn't, is strange. Isn't that amazing? And maybe that's a sign that there is some real um, evidence for, for hope on this issue. Yep. 
even though they might still be making it rough for the people who want to drink raw milk. <laughs> we'll have to work on that one next day. So uh, we've only got a couple minutes to wrap up. Maybe you want to just give everyone an insight on what you're planning this weekend and where they should all meet and what you'd like to see happen. Well, uh, if, if, and where they can go online. Um, wherever you're hearing this, go to 420rally.ca where uh, we have a bunch of videos and pictures. You can also submit video. Like if you take a cell phone video on 420 while you see a march going by you in any city across Canada, go to 420rally.ca and submit it. Submit the video. Submit we your pictures. encourage it because people love watching that. And this started with about a dozen at the beginning of this campaign. We knew about all the major cities across Canada. Uh, Vancouver, you know, Edmonton, uh, Calgary, and Winnipeg, and Toronto, Hamilton, Niagara, a bunch of others, Montreal, Ottawa. There was a dozen in total, but we got another 28 cities, or another 18 cities to get to a a little over 28, 30 rallies. Next year, I'd like to see 50 to 100. All the smaller communities. And they were all supplied with posters, and we've gotten feedback about the recognition those smaller cities are getting from the mass amount of posters they've been receiving this year. So even around London here, if you're in Paris, Ontario, Woodstock, uh, uh, other cities, West, Windsor, Sarnia, um, next year, 2014, on it'll be a Sunday, April 20th, hold your own 420 rally in your city. You know, put up 100 posters. Contact your local media. Get involved. You know, I, I really do think it makes a big difference to openly defy the law in public on one day. There's one thing about opening, open, openly defining or defying the law. Um, I think it has to be done within a respect for the police at the same time. I actually, th there's a, a JFK quote about that: uh, doing civil disobedience in a way uh, where you're willing to back up and. Uh, uh, defend your actions, including being arrested mm -hmm. and not resisting the arrest, for instance, but uh, but but going along with whatever happens to you that day and taking responsibility it actually is the height of responsibility for the law and police. Um, there's nothing like being a scofflaw and hiding that you're breaking the law, using code words to, to avoid capture, using <laughs> secretive techniques to, to lie and, and coerce your way to get away with a crime. No, if you're going to openly defy the law and use civil disobedience, uh, you must do it openly and honestly and transparently with a willingness to accept punishment. Uh, Ayn Rand, even one of her quotes about civil disobedience is about the fact that in, in, it should only, in some ways it's legitimate if you're willing to do that, the JFK type quotes, but it, it might also only be legitimate under as a preclude to war, for instance. If you're going to amass uh, uh, rally that's going to just block traffic and stuff, she disagreed with that. Mm -hmm. But you know, Ayn Rand was from the 50s to the 80s dealing with a, a war on drugs that arrested less than, you know, hundreds of people a year. In Canada, it was less than 1,000 people a year up until 84, even. Uh, now we arrest 100,000 Canadians a year for a cannabis-related offense. I don't think she could have imagined at a year where... These are know, all very, very, very current trends, which is really interesting. They're not historical trends. We didn't have laws like this in the past. I mean... That's right. It's, it's, it's insane. During the, the 60s and 70s, yeah, she just couldn't imagine 100,000 Canadians a year being arrested. Well, listen, guys, thanks for joining us today because, well, believe it or not, our time is out again for another week and we've got to go. So join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right. Stay right, do right, act right, and think right. And be right back here. We'll see ya. Fade into color Color into black and white but one thing I learned recently is when you go on airplane, don't hide your weed in a gun.